Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I have to be honest, my mother didn't really treat me well during that time. And... I remember her closing the door after being with me for two weeks and just saying, I'll never have my mother help me again. And so just being honest about what what is happening, the life that you're actually living. I think if we can just start with telling the truth and telling the whole truth, then we can work our way towards reconciliation. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey my beautiful friends and welcome to season six of the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. Season six episode 
172. When I started my podcast about three years ago, I had no idea what would happen. I just had this burning desire to hear and share stories of what happened to us growing up. I knew that hearing these stories would be life-changing for the person telling the story and the person hearing it. My gut was telling me, this is not just a few people. This is huge. People need to hear this. And since then, I've learned so freaking much about how much our childhood affects every single part of our lives. It's transformed my life creating this podcast And I know it has helped people all over the world to discover things they never knew about themselves before. So thank you so much for tuning in every week and connecting with these incredible, true, real and raw stories. Real quick, don't miss this week's brand new blog called Imposter Syndrome 10 Tips to Ignite Authenticity. If you feel like you are never able to just be yourself, if you feel like you are never good enough, please click the link in the show notes to read this blog post. This week, for the start of Season 6, my guest is LaToya Deshawn, and LaToya has such an important story to share with you. If you're a people pleaser, This one is going to be important for you because this is LaToya's journey out of people-pleasing and into living life on her terms. When you can free yourself of people-pleasing, that is a huge and beautiful piece in the healing puzzle. When you finally realize you are enough, you matter, and what you need is important, you know that you've come such a long way. LaToya developed a chronic need to please her parents and everyone and put herself last, which left her living in chronic pain, holding on to shame and hiding it all behind the facade of a super capable high achiever. Please join me now for LaToya's story. LaToya, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. You're a personal development coach and your passion is around empowering women to break the cycle of people pleasing. And this is one of my favorite topics. So if you are stuck in a place of people pleasing, putting yourself last, living in unhealthy relationships, or you feel anxious, lonely, and you don't have a strong sense of who you are This episode is for you. LaToya, you grew up within a toxic family dynamic. Can you tell us what you remember of growing up as a small child? So I'm speaking as someone who has been doing the work. So my language may now speak to that. But when you're in these situations, you don't have language around it, which is why you are often trapped into it. Thank you so much for having me on today. What I would say is that my parents loved me, but they did not know how to love me well. And so from a very beginning age, I suffered from physical, emotional abuse. And just like anyone else who's, who have caretakers, you still want to please these very same folks, right? And so you go and you start abandoning yourself from a very early age to be able to be seen, valued, and heard from these people, your parents. 
but how it impacted me at such a young age. I was nine years old when I started my period, which we know is very young for children. I also suffered a, a slight rheumatoid arthritis at 10 years old. And so from a chronic pain standpoint, and maybe five year, up until five years ago, I did not know to what extent that my trauma really impacted my physical health. It wasn't until I was, I passed out at a club in 2018. And so we're just at 10 years old. I would go on to be 13 years old and find out that my dad may not be mine and through an early dismissal from school and, and getting a paternity test, which my parents didn't really explain anything to me. So that was the beginning of seeing their shame, right? Their guilt and not wanting to confront that, like having to confront it because I was starting to look like the other guy, but not really confronting it by being honest about what has happened in their life that put them in this situation, put us in the doctor's office to get a paternity test. And that's just 13 years old. I would go on from high school to now becoming a high achiever, ambitious woman, super hypervigilant and wanting to succeed at everything. So that I couldn't just settle at getting good grades. I had to be the president of the class. I had to join all of the organizations. And to a large extent, I believe that I just didn't also want to go home to my toxic environment. So at the same time, I, I had parents who, my dad specifically, that would sit by the end of the bed and watch me go in and out of the refrigerator only to reprimand me. Back in those days, especially being a Black woman, especially in the health category, if I if you were a little bit overweight, everybody told you you were overweight. And so I had to constantly deal with, with, with those inconsistencies. And so I just wasn't comfortable as a child at all. And so I hid it all in high achievement as young as I can remember from the spelling bee at, at six years old. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? We just need that approval so badly. And when we don't get it, we'll do everything in our power just to get some words of affirmation, some sort of love. Did you feel any kind of love or care from your parents? Were there hugs or did they tell you they loved you? No, I did not come from a family that said, I love you. Mm. I can't recall a time where I was just loved up on with a hug. You know how kids just run to their parents and just kind of lean on them and you have your arms around them. I don't remember that at all. And certainly any picture that I've ever found, I have not seen that sort of embrace. Fast forward to like maybe even five years ago, I remember I tried to hug my mom and she jumped back at me. Mm. So that it was like, I can no longer like make up what I thought was happening. I, I just had to really settle at, we just don't have that kind of relationship. And I don't know if we ever will. Mm. And it's not even, I mean, when you're desperate for that love, it's so not about us, is it? It's just that our parents haven't learned that themselves. They just probably had parents that didn't do that for them. And so, you know, whilst we are growing up feeling like, oh, there's something wrong with me, I don't get the love from my mom. It's really, she probably didn't get the love either. And and when you say she jumps back, it's like, you know, it's so foreign to some people just to to feel that love they can't they can't take that they can't accept that absolutely and what you just said is sort of like an elevated once you've learned once you've read the books once you've gotten in therapy but 
when you're also let's rewind 20 years 20 years ago right we we weren't at that stage when we were talking about therapy openly and things like that so to even challenge that you know i would be met with physical abuse it took me to to having to stop the generational curse and to just break it to really learn those concepts through reading all of the books and now being able to hold compassion uh, for my mom which I do have a lot of compassion for her. I so desperately just want her to tell her story so she can release it herself. And mm-hmm. so I believe that the way in which she did that was her treatment of me and, and whoever else. And she was doing the best that she can. Yeah. I want to also acknowledge that my parents are in their early 70s. So we're talking about generational just changes. I'm a millennial. I, I speak up, you know, I challenge the system. They are baby boomers. They do not come from that era. They are both African-American. So at that time, it was the American dream to have the house, the job, the, you know, the, the, the car, the dog, the 2.5 kids. And so if they got that, no matter how they got it, then they were a success. But they were not taught to be emotionally available to themselves and or their children or people around them. And so I'm still learning and still grieving, trying to understand how to be emotionally available for myself and be that for the people that I want to serve and love. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way you describe that. And you spoke before about getting your period at nine years of age. I just know that one of the reasons that that happens is due to extreme stress. Because of the extreme stress, I'm only going to conclude that that's probably why that happened. There was just a certain time in my life where I realized I need to just do this on my own for my own well-being. Around 13 years old, I wanted to go to a certain high school. And around this time in America, going to private school was the thing to do, you know, to be able to send your kids there. But the school my mom was sending me to did not align with who I was. I knew even that young. I didn't like the neighborhood everything about it. And so I remember hiding the acceptance letter so that I wouldn't get in. And then they sent a second one and I didn't make it to the mailbox long enough for that one. And then we go on to the interview. And I remember speaking to the the person who was interviewing me and just telling her at 13 with my mom sitting right next to me and said, I'm not going to this school. I'm not going to this. I don't know why this lady has me here, but I'm not going. And so it was really up to me at that point to get in the driver's seat of my education. And so that's when I realized how I'm incredibly resourceful. I utilize people, places, and things around me to get what I want. And so I I found the school. I found the people to help me. I took the test. And so once I got the acceptance letter, there was nothing my mom could say. It was a school that was ranked very high, and I actually saved her from paying tuition. So as early as 13 is when I remember that I had to sort of get in the driver's seat of my life. That's pretty amazing, isn't it, at 13? You must have been (laughs) incredibly focused. I really didn't want to go to that school. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what we can do when we're like pretty focused on, on having it the way we want it, especially as teens. So by the time you're a teen, what sort of coping strategies were you using to cope with those feelings of I'm not good enough. I was sneaking boys in the house around that time. I was sneaking out of the house to see boys, you know, lying to my parents about where I was going so I can go where I really wanted to, isolating myself 
in the room when I did get home because I didn't want to be around. And again, doing a lot of extracurricular activities so that I could be away from home. So those around that time, I started volunteering at 14 years old. It was a requirement at my high school, but it was like a savior because I wouldn't get home till like 10 o'clock sometimes and, and I'd be very happy about it. Mm. And so from the outside, you, you're just this incredible overachiever, right? I mean, that's that's what the world sees. And yet there's just this whole bunch of stuff going on and all the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. It's it's interesting how we manage that, isn't it? Even as teenagers. Absolutely. I remember one time, I think I was 14. I, th- I was in high school and you would get to school and have breakfast and then you go to your first period class. But I remember sort of being numb and not being able to move. I don't remember if something happened right beforehand or what it was, but I just couldn't move out of the seat. I would often pray because my parents were married around that time. They actually separated at 14, got divorced when I was 18. And I would just always pray and say, if you know, God, if if you just break them up, like I, I'd be a better person. Like I'd be so good. Like I just don't want them to be together. And I remember first period, my teacher was yelling, like, get to class, get there. And I just would not move. I would not move. I could not move until I moved past my feelings and was up for, you know, being in a classroom with other people who would have to look at me and have to, you know, I couldn't hide it anymore. They would have to see all the things that I was holding inside. Yeah. It's like going into a complete freeze response, isn't it? Absolutely. And then followed by dissociation. So, yeah. So did you experience quite a lot of that? Yeah. Now that I'm learning about it more and you know, talking about it with my current therapist, I believe a large part of my life is dissociation. And so I often wonder and don't really want to go to that deep place of what did I put in the back of my life that I don't even remember, you know, of what happened to my childhood, just because my chronic pain gets me so bad that I'm paralyzed. My chronic pain consists of period, my period cramps, which turned into fibroids. I've always always had problems with my legs, just standing up for a long time. And sometimes it's so bad. I'm like, what happened to me? But also as I learn about generational curses and the science behind it, oftentimes the youngest child is impacted greatly because of what has happened in previous generations that they themselves did not open up about or let me know about. You know, oftentimes our older siblings or parents think that they are protecting us, you know, without actually telling us. There's a lot of freedom in just telling the what of what happened in your life. But again, there's in telling that you have to be courageous and there's still a lot of shame. So I don't know what 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 has happened to me or what could have really happened with my my parents, my my sister and siblings before me that I am just being so physically impacted by. And that chronic pain you said started quite young. Was that around 12 or something? So nine years old, when I got my period, I would then follow up by getting pain every month, but, you know, during that time of the month or roughly before it happened to the point where my dad worked second shift. So he worked like three to 11 PM. So he was available to pick me up from school because I would have to get early dismissals about once a month because the pain was so severe. And then I would also start taking 800 milligram ibuprofens this young. So I've been taking medicine that young 
to help me reduce my pain. And so that happened and that continued on until I made sure that we had medicine that I could take. Because as long as I had the 800 milligram ibuprofen, it would bring the pain down. But if not, I would have to get the early dismissal. Then I would follow by vomiting when I got home. And it was disgusting. I'll just tell you that. And then by 2.30, when every when the kids are out of school, I'm actually feeling a little bit better. And so I'm looking out the window, looking at all the kids walk home and me still needing to, to rest. When I was 10 years old, the slight rheumatoid arthritis, how we noticed it is because I started crawling in my parents' room at night. The pain was so great that I could not walk that I had to crawl in their room. And so the couple times that I crawled to go get medicine, that's when my mom said, let's go to the doctor and, and run some tests. So you know how they draw your blood and they have all the valves. I'm just so used to it now. And again, going to the doctor has traumatized me as well because there was never a solution. There was always either you're you're overweight, you need to lose weight, you know, or something that just really cut at my esteem. And again, not really having the support beyond my mom taking me to the doctor. It was just really, really rough to deal with, with my period monthly. And if I did choose to do an extracurricular activity, being on my feet for so long and then the pain I knew that would come from that. So as early as nine years old. And that's so much psychologically for a nine-year-old, even to have a period and to understand what that's about, let alone the pain. I mean, it's so much to deal with, isn't it? I did the best that I could. I believe that my parents did the best that they could, but the impact is still is still there. Mm. And so that that chronic pain, how has that gone through the rest of your life? Are you still with that pain? Are you over the pain now? As far as my legs, I've managed it a little bit more. I do have an active lifestyle. So I live in Los Angeles. So I like to hike. I, just, I do a walk every day or at least four times a week. I like to dance. So I keep myself pretty active in that way. And then I also have Epsom salt. I'm getting older. So I know how to jump in the bathtub. As far as my period pain, What changed my entire life, what made me say I have to get it together is I was at a club one time in 2018 supporting a friend. He's a DJ. And so I was listening to him play and I wasn't drinking. I wasn't indulging in any other substances. And I just remember me and a girlfriend said we were going to go to the bathroom. We walk up the stairs and I kid you not something happened, a complete shift. I go from being completely fine to me about to pass out. And so imagine this woman who doesn't want to hurt anyone to see that she's suffering. I try to race to the bathroom so I can pass out there. That's crazy, right? It's like where I really need help and I need people to see what's going on. I'm trying to race and still hide. And I go in this bathroom because I knew my friend was behind me. So I knew somebody was going to get me. And I'm clinging to the floor, clinging. Now we've been to a club and we know what the club is like and we know what the bathroom is like. And I am clinging to the floor to get the cold air. The floor is dirty, disgusting. I was not in control. I was so scared. Now I've had panic attacks before. I've had panic attacks a lot, but since I've lived in LA in the last nine years, gratefully, I haven't really had panic attacks. I can't recall, but this one time in 2018, I I don't know if it was a panic attack, but me clinging to the floor, 
probably it was because a lot of times you get hot, you sweat, things like that. And I just remember needing to be there for about 10 minutes. I could not even hold my head up. And then once it kind of passed, I said to myself, I need to go home. I can't stay here. I have to go home. So my friend, we said, we'll call an Uber. Let's go outside and wait for it. I would then switch from that feeling to the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. Now, I come from a family, our period pains, they they would always say is equal to having a baby. So like contractions. But this felt like even worse than that. I would not wish this on anyone. And it was so much to the point I was clenched over. I, I, I was clenched over. And then I get in the Uber. And what do I tell him to do? Take me home. He hears my voice. Here's my cry. And it's also like someone else in this Uber and I'm in pain screaming. And so the Uber driver is begging me to go to the hospital, but I'm still saying, no, 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 take me home. Because I've been to urgent care so many times. Again, we've done this hospital thing since 10 years old. They're just going to say I'm fat or something like, I just don't want to waste my time. And I also knew I was close to getting my period. So I'm like, this is just maybe a really bad friend. I remember getting out of the Uber. You could tell both men in the car were disappointed that I did not choose to go to the hospital. I would go in the house, clenched over. I grabbed all the ibuprofen, took probably about two or three or four. I don't remember. I closed all of the windows because where I live, if the windows are open, they can hear everything. So I closed all of the windows because I knew I needed to just scream. And so took medicine, closed the window, and then grabbed the pillow and put it over my face and screamed in this pillow for about 10 to 15 minutes. After that time, the medicine started to work, so I started to come down. About an hour later, it was as if nothing ever happened. It was just, I couldn't even believe it. I should have went to the hospital that night. And so I would then call and make an appointment to get an ultrasound. And then that's when we discovered that I had about eight fibroids inside of me. Only we can't conclude that one situation has to do with the other because I because I did not go to the hospital that night. We cannot conclude that that is the reason or my, you know, my fibroids is the reason why that why that happened. And so now when I talk to people, I say, you know, you have to go to the hospital because they won't be able to figure out what happened on this day if something else happens on another day. And so because I was just so scared. I made the appointment, found out I had about eight fibroids. I, it would then start a process of that chronic pain happening maybe a couple of days before my period to now every single day. And what I mean by every single day, I mean constantly taking ibuprofen daily, more than one. A heating pad was literally glued to my body because it was just, I needed the pressure of the hot water to keep me calm. I will follow that up by having social anxiety, which made me incredibly sensitive. I would gain weight. So again, I had to hear the comments of everyone around about my weight gain, you know, and that would just make me cry. We tried so many things. We tried so many natural ways before we settled on surgery. And then I did the surgery and I'm, I'm still in pain. You know, it's not 30 days now. It's maybe sometimes 12 days before my period. If I'm lucky, five days. But if if I'm really in pain, I, I can't do anything. 
I just sit there, I watch Netflix and I chill. Prior to all of that, I, I was abandoning myself to still show up in high achievement. No one would believe that I was struggling. I was going to make it to that job on time. I was going to make sure I, I had the high profile client who was happy. I, I, what I always say now in my business, you've been serving everyone yet being served the least. Not anymore. And so I really had to start recommitting to the life that I deserved. And in order to start doing that, I had to realize what are the things that I now need? So as you can hear me talk about it, it's emotional for me because I did not realize, again, how much my chronic pain or how much my extreme stress, extreme trauma was literally going to kill me. And so this was an effort to regain control of my life and live it in a way that honors me and who God has always called me to be. That is the new journey that I'm on. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so much, isn't it? That you've had to deal with for so many years. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you say that you now look after yourself and love yourself, that's that's where the change is, isn't it? Like all those years you've pushed it down, you've pushed it down, you've been high achieving, you've done everything you think you need to do. Even in that Uber, you're like, I don't want help. It's like you've even come home and shut all the doors and covered your face so that you're not going to show anybody the pain and the shame that you're feeling. It's quite extreme, isn't it? And and out of that is a realisation that you have to actually treat yourself with love. Absolutely. I think being vulnerable And when we talk about emotional availability, that's one of the main things is being vulnerable, asking for help, but also identifying the people, places, and things that have added to me abandoning myself and really making the decision if if that is what I need to keep in my life, which has led me to no contact with my mom for a couple of years now, and really moving away from both sides of my family which has been incredibly hard because one of the things I know for sure is that everything that I was doing was to be an example to my nieces and nephews. But I realized I can't be that example if I don't walk through what it actually looks like to be an example to them. Everything else would just be a trauma response. And we see a lot of women out here acting in trauma response because they are still abandoning themselves to help the next person. And so I would have never, this is not my route. You know, personal development is not my route. This is not what I wanted, but my life has shown me differently. And my courage has shown me that this has happened so that I could help someone else who's not as strong. So I can stop the cycle a little bit quicker so that I can introduce women into a new opportunity that honors them. 
I would have never chose this, but this is where we are. And I'm certainly, I think, a perfect person to do it. So that time of terrible pain, what were your next steps to move out of that? What did you do over the next year or so? So I always say what we do in one area of our life is what we do in all. So it was it was showing up everywhere. And the breaking point while I was going through this pain and a couple months before I got my surgery was dating a man. This is the first man I've ever dated who had money. Okay. We had a great time and he worked between America and Kenya. And so at the time, my homegirl was moved to Kenya to do her full-time travel and she was like, you need to come here. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I booked a ticket, but then I met him afterwards. And so he was going to be in Kenya. And then I went there he said, Hey, do you want to go to Botswana and South Africa while you're over in Africa? That's how Botswana was, was born in my life. And so, but, but as soon as I got there, as soon as I landed in Kenya, chaos started. This man who I thought was honest and was telling me truths turned out to be a liar. And it was like the kind of lying that like, I know you're lying, you know, and but he was just dedicated to it. And Mm -hmm. I got to see some of my toxic patterns, which is I'm always solution oriented. So rather than choose myself and just choose to not be in this situation, I'm thinking like, hey, let's come together and talk. Let's figure out a way. And he was just like, no, it would just be you're nagging. You're complaining. A lot of the things that my mom would say to me, you know, and so it it, it was like, hold on. Oh, he's not trying to emotionally abuse me. Like, I'm not going for that. And so I had to really just deal with the fact that this is showing up everywhere. You know, the way in which my friend, I was supposed to actually stay with her, but she abandoned me a month before the trip. And so I was forced to stay with him when that really wasn't the plan because we were newly dating. And so I'm in these situations where this is how I'm being treated and no one has any remorse for me. And then I get off this plane because we ended tumultuously in Kenya to the point where we stayed in different hotels before we even got back to America. That's toxic for sure. And I just was like, so broken, so hopeless. My friends came to visit me and who they saw, they just was like, this is not you. We don't know who this person was. I'm a free, I'm freelance makeup artist at that time, uh, not making a lot of money. So I had already went two months without working. And so I'm in the third month and I'm kind of panicking because I see an insurance bill. And I remember my friend just been just saying to me, Toya, calm down, calm down. You know, like I just, my emotional reactions was just, it was bad. And I remember going home and sitting in the car and calling Geico and asking them, saying, hey, I can't pay. What can we do? And they said, well, how much can you pay? I said, well, this amount. They said, okay. And then how much can you pay next month? I said, this amount. They said, okay. And then how much this next month? This amount. They said, okay, well, then just pay that. You'll just, on the back end, just, oh. And I just was like, wow, a new opportunity. And so from that point, I said, I am not leaving my house until I get my life together. I will not. I don't care anymore about the jobs. I don't care if I go poor, no jobs. Nothing matters in this state that I'm in. So what I did was I went on YouTube and everything that I felt I typed it. Oh, I'm insecure. Oh, I'm lonely. I'm never going to get a man. 
No one's going to ever like me. All the things. So I decided that I was going to move through this instead of halfway do this. And so that took me on a journey of Wayne Dyer, Paul Coelho, Oprah, Yala Van Zandt, Brene Brown, you know, all the big wigs in personal development. And so I just started to listen to them. I remember crying daily and I would go outside my house. There's a park across the street and I would cry out loud because I didn't want to hold all that energy inside the house. So I would go out the house and cry until I didn't feel like crying anymore. It worked every single time. And so about midway through the month, I was just looking up like, what is a vision and mission and all that stuff. I'm like, I'm about to rearrange this whole thing. And so I saw this article that basically it asked a few questions and it says, what do you like to do? Do you like to help people? You want to serve? You want to teach? All this, all of the, all of the things. And so I said, I want to teach. And then it asked questions like, where would you want to live? And all of that. And I remember because I started internationally traveling at 19 years old. So I knew I didn't want to live in America ever since the first trip. And I started to just close my eyes and visualize that I think it's somewhere here, like in Africa, in the Southern part. I don't, because I had already went to Botswana. So I'm like, I think it's in the Southern part somewhere. And then I began to crack a smile for the first time. I cracked a little smile. And then I said, keep going, keep going. And it was just asking me more questions. And what you really rediscover is all the things that you always love, that you started saying when you were a little kid, when you started saying when you were a teenager, you know, hey, I want the big car, the big house. I want to be able to have my heat on all the time. You know, I remember saying that because I lived in Chicago. And so <laughs> having the heat on being cozy was really important. I want to be able to do that. And whatever the bill costs, you know, I don't care. I want to do that. And so I just was like, this is a life I really want. Like if I had this, I'd be okay. And then I also knew that I wanted to help people. So this company was kind of, I say it was birthed since my first international trip at 19 years old, but uh, beginning to formalize in 2017 when I heard the name of what the company should be. And so I just leaned into it and I just was like, we're getting somewhere. I was a little less sad every day. And then I followed that up with what is the one thing I can do to start showing up for myself? And for me, that was to be spiritually grounded. So to get more into my spiritual practice. And then the other thing I did was start to read a book once a month. So I started that practice actually in January of 2019, but really, really became intentional about the books that I chose. And so I remember the two books I read right after I, I came to that was Rising Strong by Brene Brown and Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. And after reading Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, I think I just took off after that. Wow, that's incredible. And there's so much energy there for wanting change, isn't there? Like you're at your rock bottom, but you've just gone, this has got to change. It's just like you pushed that to make it happen. And I think a lot of people don't have that kind of ability to push themselves out of that kind of rock bottom place, I guess. If somebody's feeling like they're in that place right now, what would your advice be as a first step? I would say, number one, if, if you're not going to change, try to be a little kinder to yourself. 
right? If you're not going to change the system, if you're not going to change how you do it, at least try to not self-deprecate and blame yourself. Oftentimes when we're just not educated, we don't know how to place the things that have happened in our life. Also, we have family members who will remind us that it's us and it's not the system, you know, and keep remember I said the system because I'm not blaming them either. It's the system that we're all dedicated to that no one wants to speak up and get out of. So if you are going to stay on the system, if you do not, if you're not ready to make the big change, try to be a little kinder to yourself. And so when I was going through dealing with that guy in Africa, I was just like, this ain't me this time. Like I wasn't going to like, oh, it's me. It's my fault. This ain't me. (laughs) And so that was one way. And then I would go and get surgery afterwards, which is the fibroid surgery. And I have to be honest, my mother didn't really treat me well during that time. And I remember her closing the door after being with me for two weeks and just saying, I'll never have my mother help me again. And so just being honest about what what is happening, the life that you're actually living. I think if we can just start with telling the truth and telling the whole truth, then we can work our way towards reconciliation. Mm, So true, isn't it? It is is about the truth and the truth is so hard. It's so hard to say, but I can't now spend time with my mother. Like nobody wants to say that. We all want the relationship, right? I mean, you get to that point and that's why we end up getting stuck is because we can't make that decision. It's such a a strong, difficult decision to say, I'm not going to spend time with my mom. Absolutely. And I mean, but for me, it was me and her had always just never had the best relationship. And I was just also tired. I'm exhausted. So I also think that if you if you can still bear it, most people will. I I couldn't bear it anymore after passing out at a club. I couldn't bear it anymore after feeling alone in, in a country for three weeks. I couldn't bear it any longer when the first time that I'm actually handicapped and un, and, and and not able to be this superwoman, this is how I get treated by my mother. I could no longer bear it and I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't lie about it. I, you know, I, I just couldn't go further. Mm. And so I, I actually work with women where I can totally see that they're going to continue in their hypervigilance. They're going to continue into hiding the most vulnerable parts of their life. And then you'll see these same women incredibly insecure. And when I always talk to them, how's your, how's your relationship with your mother? They also aren't really honest about the real relationship and its impact, or they make up a story that suits them to, to help them to keep going on. And I think at that point, it's not my job to, to tell you. We want you to get there in your own time. But I certainly, when I hear them talk, I can see the many times that I did the same thing. Yeah. And a big part of this is just learning to trust ourselves, isn't it? Because we we don't trust ourselves growing up because we're constantly told that we're not good enough, we're not enough. And so we don't really trust that intuition a lot of the time we feel that we have to keep going along with the story we have to keep going along with the matrix how do you think we can learn to trust ourselves so I have this this thing that I do I tell people get out a pen and paper 
write down six things that you know you need. And a lot of times it's in relationships. So a lot of times it has to do with women who are desired to be in relationship. Because to me, that list is still opens up a broader list of what you want. And especially at my age, most, most women, we want to be in healthier relationships. So just what do we need? And so write down those six non-negotiables. Like I need this to feel good. I need this to feel safe. I need this to be able to, to, to trust. And my list consists of, again, someone being openly a, lo- a lover of God. Right and 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 active in their in how they improve their relationship. I need someone that I can trust. I need someone that I can be vulnerable with, and that I could be exactly who I am, so that I don't have to go out and perform anymore. And I need someone who who's a good listener, who's generous. You know, not just on special occasions, but just generous. And so when I open up that list more, it's, it's all the things that I wish I had. You know, in my parents as well. Mm-hmm but that I have an opportunity to now get in the people that I interact with. And then also make the list of things you absolutely cannot have, right? I cannot have someone who is dishonest. It burns me up. I can't do it. I can't have someone who's not willing to take accountability. I can't be with someone who's going to invalidate my experience. I can't be around someone who is going to get uncomfortable with my truths things like that. And so let's just start there. Let's just write the list and then be dedicated to to holding up to that list with every person that you meet. And I say, put the list on your phone, put it as a screensaver so that you can see it every time you're on your phone. And then you'll see, even if you don't start to put those together in, in your new relationships, you'll see how much it shows up in your life as things that interrupt your peace. Mm, that's beautiful advice. And a, a big part of the journey is is putting up a boundary, isn't it? Like you've you've obviously done very well with that. How do we learn to put up a boundary? Because it's so scary when we haven't ever really advocated for ourselves. Hmm. The first time I ever put up a boundary, I had to learn about it through my therapist. And I will say that I haven't talked to my sister in three years because the first time ever in life I put up a boundary, she hasn't talked to me since. So I definitely know what you mean by you you risk a lot, but I always say I'm never going to lose anyone that don't need to go. And, And that's just how I deal with that. So there's a section when I'm coaching, it's called your vibe, your tribe. And so we have to first understand what's going on with you or what has happened to you. That's why I love Oprah Winfrey's book, What Happened to You? Because a lot of times there's a lot more judgment than there is curiosity about the lives that we've lived. And then this introduces you to a new opportunity of people, places, and things that allow you to come into your own and where you can affirm yourself. And so a lot of that is meditation. A lot of that is, you know, changing your belief systems, your thought patterns, things like that. And so a lot of times I I tell people to start there because you may not want to interact with those people right now. You may not feel strong enough, but if you put in those practices of at least maybe listening to a meditation every day that affirms you, affirms your, your esteem about yourself, changing your Instagram to more positive people, unfollowing people who are not positive, then I think as you begin to have those things in your life daily, it'll give you the strength to recognize what's going on with you and then start to ask for the things that you want. But I also want to say that 
what I've really learned lately is there's there are rules and then there are boundaries. And a lot of times, even when we are speaking up, we're begging people to treat us differently. And we just have to do away with that. That's that's a, we're giving them rules that they are not going to adhere by. And really the boundary is just what are you going to do to love on yourself, to honor who you are? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You've been estranged from your mum for a couple of years. Can you tell us what you've discovered about yourself during that time of being estranged? Let me just tell you, it has been the best for me in my rediscovery of who I am. I realized that I was, first of all, with my health, I wasn't going to live a long time. Number two, my mother has been the main character of my life. And so why I sit here 38 years old, single, no kids, you know, and not really knowing which direction to go in that, it's because I dedicated so many years to making sure my mom was okay and to her well-being. And so now I get to say, no, this is what I want. This is the kind of life I want. You know, this kind of family that I want. And it just allowed me to breathe, breathe you know, without having to care about her. Mm. And it has just been a blessing to me. And I mean, currently I, 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 I'm saying that I put her on another timeout because I just, again, she's the same and I just have to hold the boundary. But now I am living my life for me. And even not too long ago, a large part of what I just told you is that I wanted to do this and be an example for my nieces and nephews. And now that has changed. I'm doing this for me. I only have one life to live. It is mine. And I get to be a part of curating it. And that is what being a strength for my mom has allowed me to do. I'm a whole new woman and I get to learn about me every day. So yeah, I might be 38 and whatever we can, we can, we can say whatever we want about me being further along in my age. But man, do I feel brand new and ready to tackle it. And I just feel better daily. Mm, I can feel that energy. Just everything about you lights up when you speak about that. And it's just like such a weight, isn't it? Just to be able to live your life the way you want to live it. And as women, we do abandon ourselves. We do put everybody else first. If somebody's listening now who is abandoning themselves what advice do you have for them you matter you matter if if you've surrounded yourself around no other people who will let you know you matter what you want matters how you feel matters the people you want to be around the things that excite you it matters you do not have to shrink anymore you don't have to cover it up you don't have to hide there are people around you who want to know about the life that you want to build for yourself. There are people who want to help you get there. They are there and they are waiting for you because you matter. Mm, Absolutely. It's so, so true. And it's something we don't realize early enough in our lives. We need to be teaching little kids. We need to be teaching teens. We find these things out so late, don't we? Latoya, you're helping women in your coaching business to break free of people pleasing. What is the blueprint to finding personal freedom? 
Yeah, so the blueprint to me is a three-step phase where we deal with your mindset. I say behind every face is a story. So in order to break free from all the things that is holding you back, you have to be able to identify it, call it a name, call it a thing. And so I need you to start talking about it, speaking about it, writing about it. And, and no one even has to ever see it but you, but you need to start finishing the sentences of what has happened to you and what it is that you want for your life. And so that's, that's the first stage. And so you get set up with a practice of just journaling and showing up for yourself. And then we begin to unpack your belief systems and reframe it. So again, all the things that you say, I'm going to cut you off and let say it differently. Say it differently in a way that's more positive, right? We are going to reframe this because that is going to determine how you think about what you think about yourself, what you think you're capable of, and it's going to change the way in which you react. And so that's like the, the first step of behind every face is a story. And then the second phase is enter the dreaming zone. I call it the radical level of belief, you know, making what we think radical, realistic. And that is where we are creating the pathway. So what is it that you're actually going to do to start showing up for yourself, showing yourself what you're made of? And so I've created the pathway to freedom, which basically starts with your spiritual grounding, mental and physical health relationships, which are always, you're going to be in relationships for a while, and then really setting a plan for the career you want and the finances you want. And that's really going to be a byproduct of your obedience to the first three levels. So that's what the first three levels is what you will work on daily. And we'll set up a daily plan for what that looks like. So again, I wake up, I read my devotion, I meditate, I go work out, you know, I make sure I eat healthy that day. You know, I have a list of things I want to accomplish and grow in my business. And so, yeah, everything that is doable that actually honors you and what you want to do. And then the last level, it all ends with community. We cannot do this without people. We cannot. And a lot of time, high ambitious women like myself don't call on the help of anyone. And so now it's time for you to get the courage and expand your network and begin to let people in and say, I need help. How can I help? And really get these people who are going to now give you all the things that you said you want after writing this vision for your life. So it's a three-step process, which takes a bit of time because this is behavior change work. Behavior change work takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight, but you will start seeing your transformation as soon as you start. And then also I follow a strategic planning process when we are creating an action plan. So again, a lot of times we're just aloof and we're just giving out the big broad goal, but let's make this real. I didn't get to in LA to do a workshop two years in a row now because I just kept it at, I want to move to Botswana. There was a plan put in place to help me get there. And so through that process, through that journey, I am here to support you emotionally, your overall well-being, and to always affirm and let you know that you can do it and you matter. I love all of that. And if someone's listening, who, who are you actually working with? Who should contact you? I do mostly work with Black women because I speak to them more, but I will also say women from underrepresented backgrounds. But really women who want to break free from the their toxic relationships, who want to break free from people pleasing, who want to get out of that system of abandoning themselves. If you also have problems with your mother, a lot of times, a lot of this goes back to your mother. You know, I didn't expect that either, but a lot of it goes back to mom. And so those people who really just want to regain control of their own life. So whoever that person is, who is willing to take 
my advice and to, to utilize the framework that I built, I'm here for you. A large part of my work has been with women from underrepresented backgrounds. And so where can we find you? So I'm on social media, Latoya Deshaun, L-A-T-O-Y-A-D-E-S-H-A-U-N. You can find me at all the places, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. And then also my company is called Patent Leather Project. So you can go to www.patentleatherproject.com. As soon as you click on it, they're gonna it's going to be a little assessment to see if you are a people pleaser and certainly a button to click to get to me and, and, and I get to you. Sounds amazing. If what we have spoken about today resonates with you, I will put all the links to easily find Latoya in the show notes. Please look her up. She's doing incredible work with people. Latoya, everything you've said today is so incredibly valuable. Learning to back ourselves and be ourselves is literally everything. Learning just to speak our truth and be who we truly are. It's so important. Thank you for being so vulnerable today and for sharing your story and all of your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you so much as well. Thank you for also letting me have the stage and share the space with you. Any woman who is dedicated to this work, I know that she herself has gotten herself out of her people pleasing and her her trauma and she's constantly healing. So this is a reciprocal relationship as you've just supported me. I want to do the same for you. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, thank you so much. That's beautiful. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. 